Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. Yes, America's Anchorman is away today. He will return Monday. Rush will be back Monday for authentic, full-strength American as apple pie. Excellence in broadcasting. In the meantime, this is Mark Stein. Honored to be here. Uh, American as apple pie a la mode. Excellence in broadcasting. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's basically the same thing, but with a subtle foreign veneer slathered on top of it, which is, which is nice for, uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, you might find that, uh, you might find that, in fact, rather uh, sensuous and appealing. Then again, you might not. We're going to share some uh, happy Valentine's, uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, Politico has, has published, this might help you guys if you're thinking about the, um, Romantic, uh, romantic dinner for two tonight. Candlelit table, lights down low, a little romantic music being uh, being piped in. Uh, Politico has provided uh, some thoughts on the fair sex, if one can still say that, and we mean the fair sex in in the fullest sense. So that applies both to you cis women, as they say and to you trans women, and to your non-binary women, all kinds of women, the people who just identify as women, that uh, that nice lady with the beard who won the Eurovision Song Contest in Austria a couple of years ago, all women. It's Valentine's Day. We love all women. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump says, and these are wise words, without women, there is nothing. There is nothing. That's what he said in 2005. And uh, since he's met Nancy Pelosi uh, and assorted other paragons of the Democrat Party, he might feel a little bit differently, but we we don't mind about that. Uh, Without women, there is nothing. There's lots of interesting observations he's made about the fairer sex, the fair sex uh, in this piece in Politico. And we will share some of them with you over the next uh, couple of hours. But... Most importantly, most importantly, it is the end of the week, and you know what that means. Live from New York City, it's Open Line Friday! Whoa, hallelujah, 1-800-282-2882 is the number to call to be on the show. You know how this works. You know how this works. From Monday to Thursday, the show is under the ruthless control of a highly trained broadcast specialist. Uh, but we don't have a highly trained broadcast specialist in the building today. There's just me, so anything goes. Uh, Rush has a very tight view of what he permits you to ask him in the course of the show. Uh, today, anything goes. You can raise uh, ballet, cricket, uh, you can ask me about interesting window treatments I'd like to recommend. You can do as you wish. Ask me about anything. Anything goes. Open line Friday, 1-800-282-2882. As you know, I always like to hear, uh, I always like to hear from uh, Democrats, from liberals, from progressives, from leftists. You've had a stinker of uh, a week. You've, in fact, have a, had a stinker of a fortnight, if you, if you don't mind a little bit of a foreign speak. It's, uh, there was the total fiasco of the Iowa caucus. There was the impeachment acquittal. There was Donald Trump's numbers going up to the highest level. 
since he entered the White House. Uh, and there was the realization with the New Hampshire primary that your so-called moderate frontrunner is a complete dud. Uh, the realization, as James Carville has, uh, has come to appreciate, that you're about to deliver the most ruthless and unprincipled political machine in the country into the hands of an unelectable socialist who honeymooned in the Soviet Union. That's a nice thought for Valentine's Day. If you're, if you're in the corner table with the candles and the nice uh, music being pot- pumped in over the sound system, uh, ask, ask the lady you're with whether she fancies taking a romantic vacation in what's left of the Soviet Union. That's what Bernie did. Everyone thinks, because Bernie is like a thousand years old, that he did this in the still heady, glamorous, romantic heyday of communism. He did it in the 80s, when even the Russians knew the whole thing was going belly up. But he still loved it. He, he, he loved communism even as the Russians were giving up on it. Uh, so they've had a, re- a very tough week, and they're now they're looking to save their party. They're going to turn to, as the Republicans did four years ago, they're going to turn to some billionaire who's uh, spent a lot of his life uh, supporting the so-called other side. So it's been a tough couple of weeks for the Democrats, uh, and I'd love to hear from you if you if you want to uh, if you want to say a, a few words about it. We heard what James Carville said. James Carville is having a meltdown about it. He's called the party a cult. Um, I said on the TV earlier today. We it was one the, the subject of moderates came up. Moderates, moderates, because uh, Amy Klobuchar is a moderate, and Mayor Pete is a moderate. And people get excited about this. All it means in the context of the Democrat choices on the primary ballot, all the word moderate means is a Democrat I don't really know anything about. Bernie is out there and up front. He loves it all. He loves Cuba. He loves Venezuela. He loves the Soviet Union. He's out there. He's up front. He's crazy, openly socialist. Uh, the other guys, uh, so, so you start looking around for alternatives and, uh, oh, well, this Mayor Pete sounds interesting. Uh, who is he? Uh, well, he's, uh, he was uh, the mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana. I, I don't really follow Indiana politics. Well, I quite follow Indiana politics, um, but, the, but I, I follow Indiana politics in general, so I don't really pay much attention to South Bend politics in particular, so I don't, uh, so I don't know anything about Mayor Pete, but I take it he's a moderate. All that means in the modern Democrat context, a moderate is just a candidate you don't yet know anything about. <laughs> These guys are not that moderate. Bernie has dragged the whole thing to the left, uh, and he's now in exactly the same situation. Uh, that Trump was. If you recall, everyone at this stage, all the clever guys, um, and I think I can actually say that I got this right ahead of a lot of people because it seemed to me uh, about three weeks after he came down that escalator in June of 2015, I thought it was interesting he'd raised the only real issue, Trump, in the sense that he brought up immigration, Mexico's not sending us their best and all that. And a few weeks after that, I was on the radio with Alan Combs, the late Alan Combs, and uh, Alan, bless him, laughed at me, but I said that I thought Trump would win the nomination and he could easily uh, win the general election. Um, And uh, Bernie is in that same position. If you remember going back 
this time uh, four years ago after uh, Iowa and New Hampshire. People thought Trump was a weak front runner, that he had a ceiling. Uh, they thought that initially, well, there's 17 people in the field, so his ceiling is 20 percent. OK, so a couple of them dro- drop out. OK, but his ceiling's only 25 percent. OK, well, uh, a couple more have dropped out. OK, but his ceiling is only 30 percent. OK, well, there's only a couple of them left in now, and, and his ceilings, his ceiling kept getting higher. He won incrementally. It took quite a while. And if you remember, you had the thing where Ted Cruz and John Kasich came to some deal. Uh, on who was best positioned in certain states. And Ted Cruz announced his uh, vice presidential pick before winning the nomination, which nobody had ever done before, Carly Fiorina, uh, because he thought that would uh, give him a better chance of going head-to-head against Trump. Trump was never the runaway 50, 60, 70 percent front runner. Uh, And Bernie doesn't have to be either. Bernie just has to do what Trump did four years ago, which he just has to keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, 25 percent, 28 percent, 31 percent. And it's even easier on the Democrat side because they have proportionately awarded delegates. So people aren't going to be winning this nomination very fast anytime soon. If you've got delegates You've got an incentive to stay in the race until the next primary. That doesn't include people like Biden and Warren who don't have any delegates yet. Um, But it certainly means that right now, uh, Bernie is where Trump was four years ago, that he's like winning incrementally. And the Democrats are saying, oh, well, yeah, well, uh, once some of these other moderates have dropped out, all the moderate vote will go to the moderate who's left standing. And then the moderate who's left standing will take the guy out. And they've even got the same people giving them advice. It's the same old never Trumpers. That's what that's what's the never Trumpers now, because they've all quit the Republican Party and have gone over to the Democrats like Bill Kristol. I can't believe this, by the way. I should, I should say Bill Crystal was always personally uh, quite pleasant to me. He liked my book, America Alone, in 2006. And I remember him, uh, I think he had some class or something, and he taught my book in that class. But these people, in the end, weren't serious. The minute uh, he actually had to confront uh, a candidate who was the consequence of uh, his control of the American uh, conservative movement in the uh, in the Bush years, he 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 has a big hissy fit and flounces off and says we are all Democrats now. Max Boot, who was my editor at the Wall Street Journal, Max Boot has now gone over, become a big never Trumper. He's saying please and 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 voting Democrat. And he says please Democrat and and exactly these guys are now in the same situation. The never Trumpers who were all on the Republican side four years ago saying please 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 find someone who can take out Trump. They're now in the Democrat primary saying please please please. Find someone who can take out Bernie. And the Democrats don't like it any more than the Republicans did four years ago. Max Boot tweeted this week, Please, Democrats, do the smart thing and coalesce quickly around one of the three moderates, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, or Michael Bloomberg, who are still standing after the first two contests. The future of our democracy may depend on it. And uh, all these people responding to his uh, observations say they don't want to take lessons in who the Democrats should nominate 
from a guy who was uh, a pro-Bush guy, pro-Iraq war guy. Why should he be dictating who wins the Democrat primary? Uh, why should he be trying to foist Michael Bloomberg, a, quote, racist Republican billionaire literally buying an election, unquote, onto the Democrats? So one of the great consequences of the Never Trumper movement is that all these losers are now over on the Democrat side uh, annoying the Democrats just as much, just as much as uh, they annoyed the Republicans four years ago. We'll talk about that and anything else that is on your mind as we break down all the news. Mark Stein in for Rush. Rush is going to be back on Monday, fired up, uh, and we will do our best to keep the seat warm for him in the next couple of hours. 1-800-282-282. Valentine's Day on America's number one radio show uh, from Donald Trump. Think like a billionaire in 2004. Sometimes you decide immediately love at first sight. Sometimes you go slowly. Sometimes you'll think with your head. Other times you'll think with other parts of your body. And that's good. We're going to give a little advice if you're planning a big romantic dinner tonight. Uh, courtesy of Donald J. Trump, he has had many things to say. Oftentimes when it, you think he's just writing a book about business, turns out he's got a, lots, of, lots of life tips in there too. And that one is from uh, Trump, Think Like a Billionaire, 2004. Uh, tell you something else that happened. Just I was talking about this, this absolutely disgraceful Roger Stone case. Absolutely disgraceful. Uh, for a lot of yesterday's show, we played what Rush had said about it the day before. And then uh, I got off the air, and a few minutes later, uh, the Attorney General, William Barr, is being interviewed on ABC, and uh, he says that Trump's tweets make it impossible for him to do his job. Make it Im Trump's tweets about the Justice Department make it impossible for him to do his job. And uh, Mitch McConnell agreed with him on that, uh, I believe, on uh, the news a couple of hours later. You know, that raises the interesting question to me about what is Bill Barr's job. And Bill Barr's job to me is to clean out the toilet that is the Justice Department and all its sub-agencies like uh, the FBI and the Bureau of Prisons. And and you've been given a fairly long time to do your job, uh, Mr. Barr. Uh, and I don't want to pick on him because uh, the president has been unusually mute about what Barr was saying. So it may well be that Barr is just trolling the left on this. Uh, but taking these words at face value, I I'd say two things. One, if it if the president ceased tweeting. And certainly if the president had never tweeted, he would have been removed from office. He, he needs Twitter because of the corrupt uh, and dishonest media we have in this country that don't cover all kinds of important issues. For example, uh, the physical violence, the rising physical violence against Trump supporters, whether it's a car plowing into a Republican registration tent or whether it's a, 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 a middle-aged man in Wyndham, New Hampshire, uh, slapping a 15-year-old uh, Trump supporter. Uh, this rise in physical violence, that goes unreported by the, by the media. 
Trump's Twitter is the alternative to uh, to the media conspiracy and the media control of the narrative, and things would be very different without it. But again, I come back to this. What is your job, Mr. Barr? Uh, Mr. Barr, your job is to actually clean up your filthy agency. If you go through that Inspector General's report, there are all kinds of unreported little tidbits that are are deeply disquieting. For example, uh, the FBI disclosing uh, so-called classified information to foreign spy Christopher Steele six months before the election. Uh, Christopher Steele, an XMI6 guy, who tells them he's working for Hillary so they know that he's actually a campaign operative for one of the two parties in the forthcoming election. And in order to assist him with his opposition research, the FBI actually disclose classified, highly classified information uh, to a foreign spy and pay him $15,000 to come to what's essentially an internal FBI high-level deep state briefing. Uh, the, the, The Inspector General's report, which is a big nothing really in that it doesn't lead to any consequences for these criminals and coup plotters, but it's got all these choice tidbits in it. How, mu- how long do you need, Mr. Attorney General? How long do you need? Laurie Lachlan has just gone to the judge. She's looking at however long in the slammer for this rinky-dink little uh, college placement scam. And she says she needs more time to prepare for trial till 2021. And uh, it's open question whether the judge is going to give us that. How much longer do you need? How much longer do you need, Mr. Attorney General, before any of these people uh, who were involved in this subversion uh, of the 2016 election? That's what it was. Subversion doesn't matter whether it happens in some um, no account uh, one man psycho state in Central Africa or Banana Republic in Latin America or in the United States of America. We all know what's going on. How much, uh, how much longer is it going to take you to do your job and actually serve up some indictments on these criminals? Why don't you, why don't you at least make them a little bit uncomfortable uh, as they're signing their book deals and CNN uh, contributor contracts? So I don't know what was going on with this business with Bill Barr, whether he and uh, Trump just got together to troll the left over this kind of thing. But when he says it's making it, it's not Trump's tweets that make it impossible for you to do your job. It's the fact that your building is full of people who are subvert, who are continue to subvert the result of the 2016 election. And at some point, you can't just keep kicking this can down the road for year after year after year after year. There have to be consequences. Just to go back to what I was uh, talking about before the break. Uh, Mr. Barr standing on ceremony and saying that Trump's tweets make it impossible for him to do his job and me just asking him, uh, what is it? What actually is your job? Uh, And as I saw it, his job is to clean up the sewer. Well, how is he going to do that? We've just heard, it's just been announced that the, the Department of Justice, that's Bill Barr's job, the Department of Justice uh, is declining to pursue criminal charges against former acting FBI Director McCabe. This is one of the coup plotters. 
Okay, so when it comes to doing his job, Bard doesn't see... And again, there's there's two tracks here. If you're in the club like McCabe and Comey and Brennan and Clapper, you fear nothing. You can do what you want. If you're not in the club like Popadopoulos and Roger Stone and Manafort and General Flynn, your life is ruined, your savings are drained, you got nothing. And I'm sick of two-tier justice. We don't need a Department of Justice if Bill Barr just wants to be the latest useless Republican to sit there presiding over uh, a a do-nothing justice department that that just perpetuates that two-tier justice system. To hell with that. I'll tell you something just from my immigrants' point of view. Uh, When I was admitted to the United States to come and reside here, One of the conditions of my immigration into this great republic uh, was that I not foment the overthrow of the United States government, which seemed kind of reasonable. I mean, why should they uh, let people into the country who are going to foment the overthrow of the United States uh, government? So I agreed when when I, uh, in return for my green card, uh, I signed on to the do not ferment clause. And I've generally speaking, I have I've been a non fermenter ever since I've been doing you can look at my record. It's completely clean. If you uh, uh, plug my driver's license into the FBI computer, you'll see that I've got a perfect record on the whole fermenting deal. I haven't been fermenting anywhere. Uh, How then is it that Christopher Steele, an MI6 spy, and he's not ex-MI6, there's no such thing, unless you're like Kim Philby and you defect from the United Kingdom to the Soviet Union, uh, he's ex-MI6, he was, but other than that and a couple of other examples, there's no such thing as an ex-MI6 guy. Uh, How is it then that a foreign spook uh, gets gets to ferment against the uh, lawful winner of the 2016 election with the assistance of key elements of the bureaucracy. Where's their non-fermenting clause? Why the hell should I have to sign the uh, no-fermenting deal when Christopher Steele and his allies in the deep state uh, get to ferment away and Bill Barr does nothing about it? So that now Bill Barr has said there'll be no, uh, his Department of Justice, there's not going to be any criminal action against McCabe. McCabe skates. I am in a, I'm renouncing my fermenting deal. I'm like Flynn when he took back his guilty plea. I withdraw my agreement to that no ferment clause. Uh, I don't want to overthrow the whole government, but I would like to ferment the overthrow of the Department of Justice. I would, I, I would like that building raised to the ground and the earth salted and we would be better off starting from scratch. And this is the way it works. At some point, uh, you might as well just say uh, laws apply to people who support the Republican candidate for president, Donald J. Trump. Laws don't apply to people who support the Democrat candidate for president. Why don't you, why don't you chisel that in the granite? Uh, outside your headquarters, Mr. Barr. What is your job? If Trump's tweets are stopping you from doing your job, why don't you give us a definition of what your job is? Because we've just seen now another another one of the fermenters, another one of the coup plotters, another one of the ones who cozied up to a foreign spy and his contacts in the Kremlin uh, is going to skate 
for that. Uh, so, so the guys who worked with Hillary uh, and Christopher Steele and Steele's contacts in the Kremlin to subvert the 2016 election are all going to skate and Donald Trump is going to be investigated until the end of time. I'm sick of it. I'm, 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 I, I meant what I said. I, with, I withdraw my non-fermenting agreement to uh, whatever the U.S. Department of Immigration was called that week. I withdraw. I tear that. I'm like Nancy Pelosi. I'm tearing up the, my non-fermenting agreement right now. There you go. I'm tearing it up. Come and get me, you sissies. Okay, let's uh, let's see what uh, yesterday uh, I was talking just earlier about the state of moderates in the uh, Democrat field. <laughs> They're looking for the magic moderate who's going to save them from Bernie. The magic moderate. Yeah, you've got Mayor Pete. Um, the uh, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Nice, moderate gay guy. He's so moderately gay, you can't even tell he's gay half the time. Uh, and then you've got the sensible shoes candidate, Amy Klobuchar. And you've got Mike Bloomberg, who's, uh, who's so moderate, he's a Republican who endorsed George W. Bush. They're looking for the magic moderate who will save them. Here's what Rush had to say about that just a couple of days ago. Not as things look at this moment at a snapshot today with their candidates and with their campaign. And so now everything in the system, this is typical of the left, since they're not going to win, all of a sudden the Hawkeye Hawkeye suck. And New Hampshire, what the hell is New Hampshire doing being number two? That shouldn't happen either. So all of this frustration is now boiling over and effervescing out of the pot. Guy says here, the candidates don't look like winners. The party looks like it might be headed toward a face-off between a billionaire and a guy who wants to ban billionaires. And neither of these two guys are really Democrats. That'd be crazy Bernie and Doomberg. And his last liner, Donald Trump's going to be reelected. So why are they imploding? They are imploding for a host of reasons, but among them is they are offering solutions to problems that don't exist. They're trying to create problems that we don't have anymore because we've got Trump, because we're instituted market economics, because we have a foundation of conservatism here that is being implemented policy after policy after policy. So they're having to invent these problems that they have, in fact, created over the years so that they can offer solutions to them. The Democrats do not offer solutions to the people who make the country work. The Democrats offer solutions for authoritarian elected Democrats and unelected bureaucrats and themselves. The Democrats are all about establishing a way of life for themselves, not for the people, not for the country. I mean, the Democrats right now want to dump a phenomenal economic model. They want to destroy the engine that has produced the strongest economy in 50 years and maybe longer than that. And with what? They want to replace it with an economic model that fails every time it's tried so that they can have problems that they claim only they have the solutions to. Well, that's their problem, not ours. They are unhappy with a constitution that has created the greatest country that has ever existed. That's their problem. 
not ours. 90% of Americans are satisfied with their lives. 90%? That's a unheard of number and a record high for a couple of generations. 90% of Americans very satisfied with their... And you're trying to get rid of the administration and the policies that have created this. So what would you do if, if you wanted to replace all this? What would you do? I don't know what it would do, but it certainly wouldn't be the way the Democrats are going about it. It makes perfect sense they are imploding. It's not just me saying this. Last week, the Friday debate, the drive-by media becoming more and more convinced the Democrats cannot beat Trump. I don't think there was anybody based on tonight's performance that has the Trump campaign quaking in their boots. Did anyone prove they could beat Donald Trump tonight? Frankly, I don't think anyone did a great job of it. The Democrats are still struggling. Among the current crop of candidates, there's a fear that there may not be the ability to take down Donald Trump. Yeah, you hear it time and again. If you were Donald Trump and watching this debate, how would you feel about it? Because my guess is he would feel fine about it. It's a little scary. Democrats should be a little frightened after this. If they can't get their act together soon, it's going to be over before it begins. If we go the way of the British Labor Party... If we nominate Jeremy Coburn, it's going to be the end of days. I'm scared to death. I really am. That was uh, James Carville there. He's uh, going on 75 years of age. And he said, if we, if we go to way the Labor Party, if we nominate Jeremy Carville, we're going to be the end of days. Uh, be out of my gumbo. And he's scared to death. He's scared to death. He thinks the party's on the way to becoming a cult. He doesn't like Crazy Bernie. He just has no use for... James, you know I know you, buddy. Known you and your wife a long time. James is one of these Democrats who's living in a bygone era. He thinks this is still the Democrat Party of the Clinton era, and it isn't. This is a far left-wing, radical, revolution-based party. That is the base of the Democrat Party. I think he knows it. I think it's what actually scares him. It is... Trending here for a secure minority position. That was Rush just a couple of days ago. He makes a better James Carville uh, than James Carville. <laughs> All that stuff about uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the UK Labour Party. He's not wrong. That's where they're headed. They're headed down Bernie Sanders' Vermont cul-de-sac. Mark Stein in for Rush. Rush will be back Monday. It's Open Line Friday. We will take your calls straight ahead. Open Line Friday on the Rush Limbaugh Show. First up today, let us go to uh, Mary in Sparks, Nevada, where I gather Joe Biden is confident he can still come a distant seventh. Uh, in a week or so's time. Mary, uh, great to have you with us on Open Line Friday. What's on your mind today? Hi there. Um, Actually, I was wondering, do you think that the Democrats have become so unspun and Hmm. crazy to get Donald Trump out of office that they are now participating in a festival that I want to call Impeachapalooza? I mean, they're going after Bill Barr and... You know, I think the investigations, I agree with you, on Donald's will never end. But do you think that they're going to use this Roger Stone thing as a vehicle for impeachment again? Well, they're, they're threatening him, aren't they? Uh, Nancy Pelosi's threatening him. 
Uh, Elizabeth Warren is demanding the impeachment of Barr, and Eric Swalwell is uh, is talking about the re-impeachment of Trump. He's saying nothing is off the table. And this actually gets back to what Rush was saying a couple of minutes ago about their candidates, Mary, because they don't have a strong candidate. And the reason they impeach Trump is because uh, the, their, their, their guy who was going to take out Trump wasn't really going to be Biden or Bernie or Mayor Pete. They were looking to the uh, mythical candidate I impeachment to be strong enough to take out Trump. And then the Democrat would uh, inherit by default. And it's and it hasn't worked out like that for them, in part because there's a big divide between these these beltway obsessives who who hate, hate, hate Trump and then some of these A-list celebrities like uh, Barbara Streisand and, and uh, Bette Midler who think that uh, he was just some Z-list reality show guy and it offends them uh, that the first celebrity president of the United States wasn't President Streisand or President Aguiera or uh, any of these other A-list celebrities, but instead it was uh, Donald Trump. But other than that, like all the people voting in Iowa and New Hampshire – Ninety percent of them uh, are voting for open borders and uh, and free health care, and they're not interested in this. So if they go down the road again uh, and re-impeach him, it's just going to go as badly as the last impeachment did for them. I mean, did you see that thing Schumer? Schumer is now saying he thought impeachment worked very well for the Democrats, Mary. Uh, you don't really think Chuck Schumer's stupid enough to believe that? <laughs> Very, very, very true. But I don't think the Nevada caucus is going to be a caucus. I think it's going to be a festival. <laughs> Impeachapalooza. That's what I'm going to call okay. it. Okay. And let me, uh, do you have, do you have, you, I take it you can't actually vote, uh, in the, in the caucus in Nevada on the, um, on the Democrat side. You, you, if you vote, no. if you vote, you'll be voting in the Republican side. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Let me ask you this. If you could vote, in the Democrat caucus, and we have no idea how it's going to go because apparently they're not using that app that was designed by some shadowy pal of Hillary's and Mayor Pete's. They've thrown out that app, and they're going to do something else that will work just as disastrously. Who would you vote for of uh, Bernie, Biden, Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, and all the rest of the gang? You know, honestly, I, I just couldn't. I would have to abstain. <laughs> and I believe in the vote, but I couldn't do it in good conscience. I really could not. Okay, uh, but the president, when he spoke in New Hampshire on Monday night, he he was recommending people go over to the Democrat uh, primary because it's a sort of semi-open primary in New Hampshire and voting for the weakest uh, Democrat candidate. And he said in the he concluded in the end that they were all weak. And you feel that way too, Mary? I do. Absolutely. Okay. I'm not the only one in Nevada either. <laughs> good, good, uh, good for you. So Impeachapalooza is coming our way. Yeah, the, the more it looks like November is going to be Bernie, uh, the more uh, they will uh, look to more investigate because they can't stop themselves. I compared it yesterday uh, with uh, Yosemite Sam shoving the dynamite down his pants. You, they, you... 
Trump is basically juggling sticks of dynamite right now. And every time, every so often, he'll just toss one out to Eric Swalwell, toss one out to Elizabeth Warren, toss one out to Chuck Schumer, because they can't wait. They're panting for the next stick of dynamite to shove down their pants. It's not working. You need a candidate who's got some kind of vision for the country that is going to be stronger than the Trump economy, uh, stronger than the Trump foreign policy, stronger than the Trump immigration policy. It's not difficult. And as I said, if you're a liberal, if you're a Democrat, if you're Bernie, if you're a Biden supporter, whoever it is, if you're a Mayor Pete guy, whoever it is, give me a call. Love to hear from you on Open Line Friday. Lots more still to come. NASA has uh, announced that uh, an asteroid... Bigger than the Burj Dubai in Dubai. That's the tallest building in the world. An, an asteroid bigger than that is unlikely to hit the Earth uh, on Saturday. If it does hit the Earth, if it does hit the Earth, though, it is likely to hit uh, the Democrat Party Nevada caucus counting headquarters. And that may cause further problems. So we may not hear for a couple of weeks uh, about Joe Biden's uh, disappointing ninth place finish in that. But at the moment, it looks likely that this asteroid will miss the Earth. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is your undocumented Anchorman. Honored to be here. Rush is going to be back Monday. In the meantime, uh, I'm sitting here in uh, New York City. We're not at Ice Station EIB connected by the extremely long, wet piece of string. I'm actually here in the beating heart of the metropolis. Mr. Snurdly is closely monitoring the broadcast from afar, but you have uh, Ali, if you want to call up and get in on the show, 1-800-282-2882, and uh, she won't use um, some of the more full-blooded language that uh, Mr. Snurdly is prone to use uh, when he dislikes the cut of a caller's jib. So make the most of it. 1-800-282-2882. Ali is call screening. Uh, and Mike is uh, running all the other technical bits and pieces. And uh, this is your humble Canadian guest host. Thrilled to be here. Before I get back to fermenting in defiance of the conditions of my admission for entry into the United States. I'm in a fermenting mood. I'm getting more and more annoyed, actually, as some of these uh, uh, stories about the Justice Department come over the transom. But, but before I get back to that, uh, I want to go back to something uh, Rush said a couple of days ago. He was talking, it, it's Friday today, uh, and it's a week since Orson Bean died. Uh, late at night, uh, California time, uh, crossing the street in Venice, California, uh, on the way to the theater. And he was hit by one car and he was kind of OK after that. And then a second car came and hit him uh, and that killed him. And he was 91 and in perfect health uh, and had a reasonable expectation of continuing to appear on stage and television and movies uh, until into his second century. And Rush mentioned that the reason we have Andrew Breitbart and Breitbart.com and all the other things that Andrew Breitbart started in his short life is because uh, Orson Bean's daughter married Andrew Breitbart, Orson's daughter Susie. And uh, so you get to know your father-in-law. And years and years ago, Andrew Breitbart was round at 
his father-in-law's pad and happened to notice a book by Rush Limbaugh on the bookshelf, the way things ought to be. And and uh, Andrew said, what the hell have you got a book by that right-wing hater for? And Orson Bean picked out the book and said to Andrew, you should read this. And Andrew did read it, and it changed his life, and it changed his worldview, simply because uh, his father-in-law explained uh, exactly why he enjoyed listening to Rush and reading Rush. Um, and it's it's interesting to me, Orson Bean became a conservative, I would say, relatively late in life. He was never a doctrinaire uh, crazy liberal. He he was blacklisted in the fifties during the so-called anti-communist blacklist. He wasn't he wasn't a communist, but he, he as he used to say, he had a cute communist girlfriend, and so because he had a cute communist girlfriend, he was blacklisted for a couple of years. Then late in life, basically in his eighties and nineties. He found himself blacklisted because he was a conservative in Hollywood. And he said the conservative blacklist hurt him a lot more than the McCarthyite blacklist did in the 1950s, which I I thought was rather interesting. But uh, I shall miss Orson Bean because he was a, 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 a brilliant, witty, deep thinking man. He thought deeply about a lot of things. He came to faith late in life. He had a pretty tough childhood. Uh, he was born, in fact, in Burlington, Vermont, and had a, a pretty tough childhood uh, in the Depression. Um, and the, the sort of childhood it can be hard to recover from. Uh, he, be- he became a, a, a believer in God relatively late in life just because he recognized that there's a hole there and there's a hole you have to fill with something. And on the whole, it's far more satisfying to fill it with God than to fill it with climate change or some other bugbear. Um, and, and he taught, he thought seriously about these things. He, I believe that his last appearance was actually on my Christmas show just a few weeks ago, which we filmed in Montreal. And Orson uh, appeared as Ebenezer Scrooge, and he did one of the very moving bits uh, not the the bit about bar humbug and the bit about tiny, tiny Tim, but he did one of the rather more moving bits from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol that uh, doesn't get done so often when they're looking for excerpts. And he also took part with me in a uh, uh, an absolutely politically incorrect uh, sketch about Baby It's Cold Outside along with Tal Backman, whose song turns up in that Peloton ad that all the feminists got mad about a few weeks ago. And I, I do believe that is Orson appears as, an, as a predatory Uber driver in uh, My Baby It's Cold Outside sketch on the Mark Stein Christmas show. You can It's about 40 minutes into the show if you don't fancy watching a whole uh, Christmas show on YouTube this uh, later and Orson was magnificent in it as a predatory Uber driver, and I was thinking we really ought to make that a, a recurring character, and we'll just bring him back every few months. Uh, for we'll bring him back for uh, St. Patrick's Day and Easter and Fourth of July, just as the same predatory Uber driver. And I thought we had a rather uh, hilarious ongoing commitment there. I miss Orson, uh, and he was one of many who understood the power of Rush, read Rush's book, and then did the next thing, which is to persuade those near and dear to him 
uh, to read Rush's book. And because he did that, Andrew Breitbart became a great cons- uh, crusader of the right, started uh, Breitbart.com. We have, uh, he was by far, uh, I would say, one of the, the uh, most important converts to conservatism that Rush has made over these decades. But that's the way you do it. Politics is the art of persuasion. It's the art of persuasion. And there are a few better examples of that than Rush to Orson, Orson to Andrew Breitbart. Never forget that. The reason the left wants to ban you and cancel you, get you kicked off Twitter, get you kicked off Facebook, get you kicked off the radio, why they do these stupid flush rush campaigns and all the rest of it, is because they've lost the art of persuasion. So that instead of trying to win the debate, they want to cancel the debate. Because they're scared that if the debate is held then God forbid the Rush side, the Orson Bean side, the Andrew Breitbart side, the conservative side might win. That's why they'd rather just get you banned, get you silenced, uh, tinker with the Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter algorithm uh, so you, the, you don't show up in any searches. They'd rather silence you because they've lost the art of persuasion. And you see it in these debates. You see it in these pitiful Democrat debates. They're looking for the magic bullet that will take out Bernie. So the guy stands there on the debate stage and asks all the candidates, which of you would have a problem with a socialist candidate? And none of them, none of the magic bullets who are going to take out Bernie, not Sleepy Joe, not uh, uh, Mayor Pete, none of them except Amy Klobuchar actually dare to say uh, I've got a problem with the socialist uh, candidate. That's the thing. They can't debate. They've lost the ability because they've spent so much time getting you cancelled, getting you shadow banned, getting you kicked off Facebook and YouTube and Google and all the rest of it. They've lost the ability to debate. And, and never forget that chain. Rush to Orson to Andrew to the world. Keep Keep persuading. Keep debating, because it's the thing the left can't do. Mark Stein for Rush, it's the end of the week, and you know what that means. Live from New York City, it's Open Line Friday! Yes, indeed it is. 1-800-282-2882 is the number to call. Anything goes. You can ask me anything. We don't have to talk about the Attorney General. We don't have to talk about the Democrat candidates. We don't have to talk about whether Joe Biden is up point oh 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 seven percent of a point in South Carolina. You can talk about anything you want. Give it a go. And as I always say, I would love to hear... Uh, from you, from you Democrats, you liberals, you progressives, uh, who's going to be the magic bullet? We keep getting, being told that the priority is to take out Trump. You need a guy who can beat Trump. They all keep saying, I'm Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Amy Klobuchar stood there in her sensible shoes on the stage in New Hampshire and said she's the one who can, can beat Trump. And it's slowly beginning to dawn slowly beginning to dawn on these people that they are going to look to either they've got a choice between a full-blown socialist 
who honeymoons in the Soviet Union. And I know everyone gets tired of that line. The left, hey, why do you keep saying that? It's just his honeymoon. Yeah, a honeymoon is usually pretty special, actually. A lot of people think, well, where should I go to the honeymoon? Should we go have one of those uh, uh, destination honeymoons in the Caribbean? Uh, make it a little something, memories that we'll treasure for a lifetime. It's, I don't know anyone who actually want to, have you ever been to the Soviet Union? I mean, it's, it's, at that point in the 80s, it was at its worst. What was I was here the other day and I did my old gag from the 1980s about the Moscow supermarkets where every checkout line is for nine items or less. It was hell. Who the hell would honeymoon there? What do you think the honeymoon suite is? At the Communist Party headquarters. What do you think that's like? So we, we are going to keep making that joke because it's a very telling joke. And on the other hand, you've got that and you've got Mr. Billionaire Republican, pseudo Republican. I endorse George W. Bush uh, and I spend three days a week. I get in my round about now. Uh, every Friday. I don't know, maybe he's doing something different this weekend and he's campaigning somewhere. But if it was a normal week, for Mike Bloomberg, as he did every week when he was mayor of New York, round about now he's getting into his Gulf Stream and going to Bermuda to spend three of his seven days a week in Bermuda on British sovereign territory. What do you think, George? Do you think George Washington spent three days a week on British sovereign territory? Uh, so that's the choices. That's the choices. Do you Democrats, <laughs> you've got to be loving this. Call me up. Uh, tell me what you think of it. 1-800-282-2882. Mark Stein, Farash, on America's number one radio show, Open Line Friday. Let us go to John in uh, Oklahoma City, revered birthplace uh, of Elizabeth Warren, uh, where she and her Cherokee ancestors used to slap on the old war paint and go spear the fast-moving uh, Cherokee, Oklahoma crab as it came sweeping down the plain. Uh, I don't know whether John is also a Cherokee, but it's great to have him on the show. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show, John. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Mark. Cherokee and Cherokee, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, my question is, if Mayor Pete beats Bernie or vice versa, would one of them pick the other in order to get that little faction of the vote versus people saying, well, we don't want him because that's him. Could they find that happy medium versus making someone vote third party or just stay home? Uh, well, you always want to unify the party, but at the same time, you need someone you can live with. And I, I can tell you this right now, Bernie is not going to be Mayor Pete's running mate. Uh, Bernie, deep down inside, uh, despises Mayor Pete. Uh, who is a mayor and or who was a mayor and bernie was mayor of burlington vermont uh 30 something years ago back when he was honeymooning in the soviet union he's been there done that and he's not going to be mayor pete's deputy mayor and furthermore after this iowa caucus rubbish uh the, and all the other shenanigans a lot of these Bernie bros are going to figure that Mayor Pete was the establishment's anointed candidate and that they somehow they managed to steal it from Bernie again. And they're going to stay home in even larger numbers uh, than they did last time. So I, I think you're right. That ought to be a consideration uh, in the same way that uh, JFK picked LBJ and that Reagan picked Bush 
that ought to be the consideration. But it's not the, the divide in the Democrats this time is too big to be bridgeable in that kind of neat way, John. Yes, sir. That's uh, which. Who do you think is going to win? Just uh, the the view from Oklahoma. I take it your your fellow Oklahoman, uh, Liz Warren. You're basically discounting her, and you're figuring we're not likely to get the first Cherokee president. Um, so, so who do you think is likely to win this nomination? Well, honestly, I, I see it being Bernie, just because of the amount of people that I see. And I know you can't take Twitter as real life. But there are people that jump on that that say um, that I've seen say Hillary was not far enough. So I figure a lot of people, my my neighbors included, they're they're great guys, they're great people. But uh, I see them this morning put a P2020 sign, and I just don't think there's enough of them. Uh, I think it's (laughs) going to be Bernie. uh, But I also feel like I don't know why every 20 minutes I hear a Bloomberg radio advertisement or on TV twice an hour, I see a Bloomberg advertisement, and yeah. as far as I know, he's not gotten a single delegate, so he may be the third party that they all hate or fear, and that gives Trump nearly every state. I mean, he could win the same votes he got in California, which was, I think, four and a half million, right. and you got Bernie gets 4.1, Bloomberg gets 3.9, and, you know, if you force the Californians to stand up and say 55 votes for Donald Trump, and I think that that is the... Uh, that is a bomb hitting the ground. Well, done. well, maybe we, we'd see how that we'd see how that works. I mean, uh, he want Bloomberg wants to spend a billion dollars uh, to to take out Trump. He doesn't want to be the reason. He doesn't want to be Ross Perot. Um, he wants he wants he wants to actually his priority is just to deny uh, Trump a second uh, term, which Ross Perot did, but Ross Perot actually uh, had other reasons for for running the priority for bloomberg is actually putting a bullet uh in the trump second term and that's that's what he's serious about your neighbors i will say this though i bet you know they so they've seen him on a couple of debates and he seems a pleasant fellow and all the rest of it he'd drive them nuts he is the most synthetic uh, carefully, ma- he's a cipher whose every position is calculated, and he's a boring cipher. And I can't honest, I can't honestly see this working uh, because he, his insincerity, the 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 polished uh, practice, he sounds like the most old-fashioned, stage-managed, scripted candidate next to Trump. And I can't see that. They, when people put a Mayor Pete sign on the lawn, what they mean is uh, they're not satisfied with the guys they know, like Biden and Bernie, and they just want something else. And what that means is that the something else they think they want is just someone they don't know yet. As I said, you know, the, the so-called magic moderate is, is, just a, uh, is just a Democrat you hadn't heard of 20 minutes ago. And so they'll get bored with Mayor Pete. I don't think he's a long-term threat in that way, John, so you needn't fall out with your neighbors over it. Uh, but I wouldn't get too worried about the Pete 2020 sign on the lawn. We're going to talk a bit about uh, about Mayor Pete, because he's quite quite the oddest candidate uh, 
uh, in this race in terms of the way the media are covering him. But he is also utterly, utterly boring. These fatuous bromides he speaks about the shape of our democracy. He says the critical issue in this election is the shape of our democracy. What what shape are you looking for in the shape of your democracy? Uh, democracy? Would you like it to be rhomboid shaped? Uh, would you like it to be shaped like uh, Scarlett Johansson in that cute little outfit she wears in the Avengers? This is rubbish. Who who on earth is going to actually vote on the basis of the shape of our democracy? At least Andrew Yang. Uh, you can like Andrew Yang a lot, not like Andrew Yang, but he was actually addressing big issues like the fact that 30% of jobs worldwide are going to be replaced by automation in the next 10 years. And the people who are put out of work by that automation aren't going to be sitting around having these fatuous uh, dorm room college conversations at three in the morning when you're all too drunk to know better about the shape of our democracy. Whatever the shape of our democracy is, it's not shaped like Mayor Pete. Yes, America's anchorman is away, but Rush will be back on Monday. Uh, and he uh, will be fired up and raring to go. You know what it's like. You've, you've heard him. He was here Tuesday and Wednesday. And you know what, it, what it's like when he has to take a day out because he had the flu on Monday. He comes back twice as fired up. So it's like a concentrated dose. Uh, it was like five days of rush, concertinaed and squeezed uh, into two. So, you know, uh, whatever Rush is doing in the day, bits of what's happening get through to him. And he gets very frustrated at being some distance from the microphone. And and it all builds up inside him and he has to let it out. Uh, David Limbaugh. If you if you read, uh, most of you know that uh, David is Rush's uh, brother and he's also a columnist and he's an author in his own right. And he's actually got a rather moving for this Valentine's Day. It's a kind of Valentine uh, that David has written to his brother, to Rush. And you can read that at um, what's it called? I think it's BizPack Review. But you can you can read it at other places where. Uh, David's column uh, appears, um, and it's uh, very timely for Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day uh, isn't just uh, for whichever hot young woman you're hoping will agree to uh, have dinner with you tonight, but it is also uh, for those we love and who are most dear in our hearts, and that is certainly true uh, with Rush and David, and it's true with Rush and the the rest of us uh, who make up the bigger EIB family of the people who work here and Rush's millions of listeners. So uh, today, Rush, Rush left specific instructions that he wants stuff to be as normal as possible when he's out for some tedious, time-consuming medical reason. Uh, but on Valentine's Day, I think, it's, uh, I think it's appropriate for us all to send a big uh, multi-million collective Valentine to Rush. I'm sorry he's out today because uh, if he was here for Valentine's Day, it would be great to tell him that. Uh, but he will be uh, back here on Monday. Uh, you know, I was uh, uh, just thinking about that last uh, call from John in Oklahoma about – whether Mayor Pete would pick Bernie and his, as his running mate, would Bernie pick Mayor Pete? Actually, it reminded me of, of a story that cropped up, I think it was uh, yesterday, just after I got off the air. 
Mayor Pete, uh, back when he was in high school, in South Bend High School, he, he's a lifelong South Bender, and he was uh, at high school in South Bend, and he entered the, uh, I think it's the JFK Presidential Library Essay Writing Contest. The John F. Kennedy Presidential Library Essay Writing Contest in, in the year 2000, and he was Peter Judge then of St. Joseph's High School, South Bend, Indiana. And he won the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library Essay Writing Contest by writing, and you know, every presidential library has this. The big, the big one in my corner of the world uh, is uh, for the, uh, the Coolidge, uh, the, uh, the Calvin Coolidge Essay Prize uh, in, in Vermont, uh, which is also – actually, that's something well worth doing for President's Day uh, if you're looking for a president and you're within a drive of the Coolidge Homestead in Plymouth Notch, Vermont. It's actually the most moving simply because it is the Republican ideal that presidents are drawn from the people and when they cease to be president, they return to the people. And that – and you can see the actual homestead. Uh, where uh, Coolidge was sworn in as president by his father, who was a judge, and uh, they've got a little cheese uh, cheese factory there. In fact, uh, the the first cheese I bought from there, I actually bought from uh, uh, from uh, President Coolidge's son, who was still alive then in his uh, in his nineties and still uh, and, and still ran that cheese factory. Anyway, that's something to do for presidents. As I said, all these presidential museums and birthplaces and whatnot all have these essay writing competitions, including JFK. And this is the thing. Mayor Pete, when he was a Peter Buddy Judge at St. Joseph's High School, South Bend, Indiana, he won the JFK essay writing competition by writing about how marvelous uh, and exemplary Bernie Sanders was. <laughs> this This is, they're joined at the hip when Rush was talking about there's no such thing as moderates. Fortunately, these are the words of Mayor Pete, quote, fortunately for the political process, there remain a number of committed individuals who are steadfast enough in their beliefs to run for office to benefit their fellow Americans. Such people are willing to eschew political and personal comfort and convenience because they believe they can make a difference. One outstanding and inspiring example of such integrity is the country's only independent congressman, Vermont's Bernie Sanders. Sanders' courage is evident in the first word he uses to describe himself, quote, socialist. In a country where communism is still the dirtiest of ideological dirty words and socialism is immediately and perhaps willfully confused with communism, a politician dares to call himself a socialist? He does indeed. Here is someone who has looked into his own soul and expressed an ideology. Even though he has lived through a time in which an admitted socialist could not act in a film, let alone hold a congressional seat, Sanders is not afraid to be candid about his political persuasion. He has taken many courageous and politically risky stands on issues facing the nation. 
Uh, he has come under fire from various conservative religious groups because of his support for same-sex marriages. His stance on gun control led to NRA-organized media campaigns against him. Sanders has also shown creativity in organizing drug shopping trips to Canada for senior citizens to call in attention to inflated drug prices in the United States. This is a love letter. This is a valentine by Pete Buttigieg uh, when he was in high school in South Bend, Indiana. In the year 2000, he wrote the JFK Presidential Library winning essay, uh, A Valentine to Bernie Sanders. Bernie must be wondering why he's running against him. Why doesn't Bernie uh, just uh, give a press conference saying he's been endorsed by Mayor Pete, admittedly 20 years ago, and just put all this stuff in an ad? Rush is absolutely right. How do you, how do you run as the anti-Bernie when your principal accomplishment before being mayor of South Bend was winning the JFK essay writing prize with a Valentine uh, to Bernie Sanders. That's that's basically what Mayor Mayor Pete does here. It's uh, it's 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 actually quite quite remarkable. It does make you wonder why he's actually bothering to run against Bernie. Uh, one other thing before I forget, I've been told you know that we ought to simmer down, getting annoyed at McCabe skating. Because that this is on, and I talk about this every time, this is on just the narrow point in the Inspector General's report. Barr is letting uh, McCabe slide just on the narrow question uh, of his, uh, uh, the finding in the Inspector General's report about his lack of candor over leaking to the New York Times. And they're saying, oh, don't worry about that. All the big stuff, like the Pfizer court stuff, is going to come in the Durham report. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. It's always the next report. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how it's always the next report that is going to nail these guys? You know, oh, yeah, okay, this report. Yeah, okay, we, we, we spent months looking forward to the Inspector General's report. But in the end, that was actually very narrowly focused. Uh, Durham has a much wider remit, and he's really going to get, he's really going to stick it to McCabe and Comey and Brennan and Clapper. Uh, really? Okay, you still buy that? How many years has this stuff been going on? How many years does it take to investigate this? It's out there in print. They're all talking about it. All the texts between uh, Peter... S- Peter S- he, here's the thing. My my friend, uh, Phelan McAleer, who's been on this show, uh, as, as you will have heard several times over the years, he does these great plays based on on trials uh, and uh, legal proceedings where he just takes the the words of the people in the trial or the hearing or whatever it is and turns it into a play. He's turned the texts of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page into a play. Michelle Backman and I, Michelle Backman played Lisa Page, I played Peter Strzok, we did it. Do you know how long it takes generally to write a play, get funding for it, to get it produced, to get it staged, to get it dressed, to get it lit, and all the rest of it, uh, versus how long it takes. In, in other words, it's easier to take the direct, incriminating words of Peter Strzok and get it onto a stage and into a stage play than it is to get those self-incriminating words investigated by the Department of Justice. 
And we're meant to believe that the next report is going to do it. Okay? And I'll tell you why. Why are we, why do we give the Department of Justice a pass on this business of letting McCabe skate? He skated on the question of lack of candor. You know why Papadopoulos is in jail? Lack of candor. You know why uh, General Flynn is in jail? Lack of candor. Lack of candor with the FBI. So the FBI guys, they can have all the lack of candor they want, uh, but if you show lack of candor to the FBI, you go to jail. If, if McCabe's interviewing you and you're not candid with him, you go to jail. But if McCabe's not candid, he skates. When are people actually going to get annoyed about this? When are people actually going to, instead of saying, oh, well, don't worry about this, the, the next report, the very next report is actually going to, that's the one that's going to do it. And, okay, even if the Durham report doesn't, by then uh, maybe, uh, maybe Barr will have appointed somebody else to investigate somebody else for another 2, 3, 7, 12 years, and maybe when he's 117, McCabe will finally get his. How long are you going to be rubes? How long are you going to be suckers and all this stuff? They're in the club. If you're in the club, you skate. If you're not in the club, you go to jail. And you notice that the people who aren't in the club are Donald Trump's associates. And meanwhile, over on the other side, there's this little bipartisan cozy club uh, between career bureaucrats, Democrats, and so-called mainstream Republicans. It stinks it's not what at the very least they could rename that Department of Justice, uh, rename it the Department of Garbage uh, and uh, at least uh, put something in the budget to hang a new sign on the door. Mark Stein for Rush, your call straight ahead. Mark Stein for Rush on Open Line Friday. Let's go to Laurie in St. Paul, Minnesota. Laurie, you're next on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Mark. I am absolutely thrilled to be talking to you. Um, my theory is um, that the, the Democrats seem to know that none of the candidates right now could actually beat Trump. And I'm, I kind of think that they have an idea of somebody that might be waiting in the wings as the summer progresses. And it, it seems to me it could be Michelle Obama. And I kind of think that because she's kind of got all the surface diversity that they that they like. You, you know, she's a female. She's got name recognition, a lot of celebrity status behind. She's got, you know, her, hu- her husband. Um, and they don't really abide diversity of thought, but <laughs> they kind of go for the diversity other ways. And... I, so I, that's my theory, and I'm wondering what you think about that. Well, uh, I don't think that's going to solve their problem uh, because, you know, the, the, if you notice, the Bernie guys are already mad at the idea of a guy who skips Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina and just comes in late and buys his way into third place, second place, which... Uh, which is what Bloomberg's just done. The idea that they'll wait till the summer and they'll just bring in someone who hasn't actually participated in the competition for vote, who hasn't actually been going around uh, flipping pancakes at New Hampshire diners and all the rest of it, and, and is just parachuted in to save the party at the last minute. I think that would be a huge problem for the Bernie bros. 
Um, and I think I think the other the other thing, of course, is that it looks awfully cute that you just get the wife of the previous president. But that really didn't work with Hillary uh, last time. And Hillary, whatever you think of her, has at least run a she'd, – she'd run for Senate in New York – um, and she knew a little bit about campaigning and all the rest of it. For Michelle to do that at the last minute, when you've never really been in competitive politics before, I don't know whether they could pull that off. You should never underestimate their stupidity. But I don't think that would actually, if they were going to do that, I don't think that would work for them. And they'd get a they'd get a hell of a shock uh, because it's one thing for Trump to beat uh, another you know, cranky old Bernie or whatever, it, they'd be devastated when he did the same to Michelle Obama, uh, Laurie. I mean, don't you think that um, they'd like someone that would be easy easy to influence or manipulate be, behind the scenes? I kind of thought that with Hillary, she'd be so easily blackmailed or, <laughs> you know, easily moved behind the scenes. Yeah, but or you, even but, with Biden, you know, they'd have things to hold over his head if they really needed to and could influence no, that, that, them in that way. That's a, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Hillary, she was crooked, Hillary. The Clinton Foundation is, is crooked. Biden's crooked. His brother's on the take. His son's on the take. Uh, there's all this stuff. He was he, he and uh, and Jill were saying that uh, Hunter's a delightful boy and he's never done anything wrong. Yeah, those guys are just interested in thieving and stealing and and would do that. But I, I think they've got a, They've got an actual. They need a candidate, and they can't find a candidate. And as you say, they want a diverse candidate. And now it's just become a, a battle between a, a near octogenarian communist and a near octogenarian billionaire Bush endorser. That's where all the clever stuff has, has, uh, has failed them. The, 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 the thing that, the thing is, Laurie, uh, you shouldn't think these guys are cleverer than they are because if they were cleverer than they are, it, we wouldn't be, uh, on the verge of the Nevada caucus. Uh, with this range of candidates. It's all gone wrong for the clever guys. Mark Stein for Rush, we got a break, but there's lots more still to come. I saw a headline about uh, venomous snot and assumed it was uh, something to do with Eric Swalwell wanting to uh, re-impeach the president already, even though it's only uh, a week since the last impeachment ended. He is a venomous snot, uh, but this is a great scientific breakthrough. They figured out why jellyfish can sting you even without using their tentacles, and it's because they release venomous snot. <laughs> and uh, that is that turns out why if you if you if a uh, a jellyfish is swimming on his back and you go over him he can still sting you without his tentacles i still maintain that venomous snot is a phrase best review reserved for eric swalwell though yes rush is away but do not worry about it he's gonna be back here monday with uh Full strength, excellence in broadcasting. You won't want to miss it. I've been in a kind of uh, fermenting mood. I mentioned that uh, the terms of my admission to this great republic were that I not ferment the uh, overthrow of the United States government. And I remarked how odd it is that I'm not allowed to ferment the overthrow of the government, but that 
huge uh, numbers of senior officials in the Department of Justice and its sub-agencies are allowed to ferment the overthrow of the duly elected president of the United States. Uh, I thought that was an, uh, a somewhat perplexing contradiction. We're now getting more leaks uh, from this dirty, filthy, rotten, corrupt Department of Justice. They're letting it be known that Barr, the attorney general, uh, whom Liz Warren wants to impeach, uh, has privately, I don't know quite what that word means in this context. I don't think he has done it privately. I think he's done it in his capacity as attorney general, ordered a re-examination of the Flynn case. Flynn was broke and was forced to cut a deal. Uh, He lost everything. And so he had no choice uh, but to cut a deal uh, with the... Because he couldn't afford to go to trial. You can't have a trial where one guy can't afford... Uh, to call witnesses and hire lawyers, and the other guys are the United States government and have the mo- money, no object prosecution, where they can buy everybody they need to buy. So Barr has now ordered a re-examination of the Flynn case, and uh, certain of his officials are leaking that to the press uh, in order that CNN and the New York Times can get mad about it. I'm so sad. The stench of the corruption is filling my nostrils. Uh, Somebody tweeted at me earlier that this is all Trump's fault for filling his administration with swamp creatures. That's not the case, really. Donald Donald Trump was elected as a one-off. When when I saw him backstage uh, in, in, in Burlington, Vermont, almost exactly four years ago, January 2016, he had nobody there. I, I, I've seen people who were in 17th place. Jim Gilmore, this guy from Virginia who was running and was polling at 0.003%, had a bigger entourage than Trump. Trump had Hope Hicks, Corey Lewandowski, and some guy who'd gotten to the quarterfinals of uh, The Apprentice in 2003. They were, the only, they were the only people around him. I've never gone backstage at a presidential event and seen that small an entourage. So he didn't come in. He's not like uh, Clinton coming into office with all these Arkansas guys who've been around him for years. He's he's not like George W. Bush coming into office uh, with all his guys from Texas and his dad's guys uh, and this big network of connections. He comes in there and he doesn't know anybody in that town. And all these uh, he doesn't know enough people to staff an administration with non-swamp creatures. Uh, and as a result, he's got uh, all these uh, Obama holdovers and uh, and mainstream Republicans and all kinds of people all con- uh, conspiring against him. Uh, and that's deliberate, too. They're, they're trying to teach the electorate that if you go outside the norms as they perceive them, this is what you w- want to get. Uh, Rush yesterday was all over CNN and MSNBC and all the rest of it because he was being hammered for his comments about Buttigieg uh, the the previous day. He was talking about how Buttigieg uh, was kissing his husband on stage after debates, and he was wondering uh, how this was going to be handled if he became the nominee and Trump was up on stage debating him. It's normal at the end of debates, uh, the, the families of the candidates come up on stage. So with with uh, Trump, the debate would finish and you'd have Melania and you'd have Baron Trump and they'd come up and there'd be some hugs and kisses. And on the Mayor Pete side, 
uh, the uh, uh, what's he, the guy called Chaston, Chaston, I think he is, whose mayor Pete's husband would come up on stage, and Rush was wondering uh, whether they would be kissing as enthusiastically as they did in the run-up to Iowa. And so everyone's attacking him from both sides now. So he was attacked by Biden and he's been attacked by uh, some of these conservatives uh, alleged uh, like uh, uh, Lamar Alexander. And I uh, saw uh, S.E. Cup on uh, CNN uh, criticizing Rush for this. He's actually just asking the question. And I should say my complaint is is the complete opposite of Rush's. As you know, I got into trouble for complaining that Mayor Pete wasn't gay enough for my tastes. I like my gays to be a bit gayer. And uh, and so I got hammered by that. So for, for that, by the same people who are, who uh, are saying that... Uh, uh, Rush is totally homophobic for for making a, an issue of this thing. So let's just step back a bit and look at the big picture. Something very strange has actually happened uh, because Mayor Pete has shattered the gay glass ceiling. He's he's uh, he he supposedly, if you believe anything about Democrat counting methods, he won the Iowa caucus. He got most delegates in Iowa. And do you realize how historic a breakthrough that is for gay America? He is the first first openly gay man to have shattered the gay glass ceiling and won a caucus over all the heterosexuals in the field. No one's ever done that before. And yet you don't see that. Oddly enough, there's been no coverage of that as a great gay breakthrough, great moments in gay history, unprecedented shattering of the gay glass ceiling. There's been none of that in the way it's been covered in the New York Times, CNN, any of these people. So even they are thinking, hmm, what's the actual gay sweet spot uh, here? They're actually trying to calibrate just how gay... Uh, America wants its magic moderate candidate uh, to be. And I had a fascinating thing when I uh, supposedly made my comments about uh, whether uh, Mayor Pete... uh, It was a throwaway lie because all the minority candidates, all the uh, Cory Bookers and the Kamala Harrises and all these people had all fled... Uh, the the nominating process, leaving just these old white men and a couple of tokens. And I said as a throwaway line, you know, because it was like Giza Central. Uh, you've got uh, you've got Bernie, you've got Biden, you've got Bloomberg. Uh, is Elizabeth Warren even a woman? She lies about everything else. What about Mayor Pete? Is he even gay? The thing about that, though, ever since I said that, I've been bombarded with mail from all these various... There's a gay group called Queers Against Pete who are opposed to... That's right. There's a group called Queers Against Pete who are, who are opposed, despite the fact that he's one of them, orientationally speaking, they're not getting on board with him in the political sense. Um, and there's a fantastic piece in The New Yorker uh, called the queer opposition to Pete Buttigieg explained. There's a massive queer opposition to Pete Buttigieg. I've had all these these uh, comments from gays saying I'm not voting. I'm not voting for Pete. He sold out the gay community. Blah 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 blah. Uh, and one one of the things it calls comes down to is that he passed. He passed for straight, as this guy puts it, 
in the New Yorker for years and years and years. And here's the astonishing thing. Mayor Pete didn't come out till the year 2015. And that's why uh, he he didn't just wait until he was established in his political career. He also waited. He made it clear that he feared that if he had come out sooner, his political career might have suffered because he was passing for straight. That's that's the phrase they use. If you go and see the producers on Broadway or if it comes to your town in dinner theater or summer stock, there's a line in there where the producer tells um, the uh, the one guy, you're, you're, going, you're going out there, a, a middle-aged camp old queen, but you have to come back a big butch passing for straight leading man. Uh, that's, uh, that's a line in the producers. And uh, uh, that's basically Mayor Pete. He was passing for straight because he thought his political career might have suffered. This is Profiles in Courage for you. And I'm reading now from The New Yorker, quote, but he didn't just wait until he was established in his political career. He also waited until after attitudes toward homosexuality had changed and same-sex marriage had become legal in more than half the states and was recognized by the federal government, all thanks to the courage and work of people who came out before Buttigieg did. And then so it's not that he waits until everybody else has come out. Like, he came out in 2015. I don't even think you can come out in 2015. Was coming out even still a thing then? Coming out, I remember tedious people whom I now look back on with an odd affection, like Andrew Sullivan, when I was asking him about why this need to come out in whatever it was, 1992, and he said it was important to take the first crude. God, I'm so old. I can remember... Uh, knowing homosexuals for whom it was actually illegal to come out because it was punishable and you could be thrown in jail. Uh, And Mayor Pete waits until the year 2015, and then uh, he comes out when basically everybody's come out. There's no such thing as an in-gay anymore. He's basically the last gay man in North America to come out. And then he has the chutzpah, to write an op-ed titled Why Coming Out Matters. Right? Do you get this guy? He's the last gay guy. He's the last gay guy in the Western Hemisphere to come out. And then he writes a piece in the paper saying, Oh, why coming out matters? You sanctimonious little twit. You know, I can't... I, as I said, I'm, I've been... Rush is, Rush is wondering whether all the Tungsanis... <laughs> as they used to say in English schoolyards, all this uh, deep kissing, uh, giving his husband the full tipper, like Al Gore at the 2000 convention, is going to be too much uh, for people on the debate set. And as I said, I've been, like, I've been around the theatre all my life, so I'm not surprised, you know. Uh, I've known, I've, I know gay guys uh, all, all, my, all my life, and... Uh, my complaint is that this is this guy waited till 2015 to come out, and then the big sanctimonious ninny uh, writes a big op-ed congratulating himself for being the last guy anywhere, basically outside Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Pakistan. That guy in Uganda who says, uh, "Why can't we go back to the old, good old days when we used to spear?" 
these guys, uh, Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, who uh, accused Tony Blair of being a gay gangster leading the gay government of the gay United Gay Kingdom, uh, prompting Tony Blair's press secretary to issue a statement denying that the prime minister was a gay gangster, accusing Tony Blair of a plan to impose homosexuality throughout the British Commonwealth. (laughs) He's the last non-out gay on the planet. Do you not understand why there are hundreds of thousands of American gays who don't trust Mayor Pete? Uh, Queers Against Pete. Queers Against Pete. It's an actual group. They sent me, uh, I now get sent their uh, open letters. Um, if If you agree, it is for these reasons and more that a group of us have come together under the banner of hashtag Queers Against Pete. It's a hashtag. All these square people, these these guys attacking Essie Cup and Lamar Alexander, tut tut tutting about Russia's comments. There are there are m- hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of gays who don't trust Mayor Pete. It's the most hilarious. And God bless diversity. This is true diversity. There are sanctimonious, focus grouped poll-tested cipher gays running for president, and there are hundreds of thousands of actual real gays sick of this guy, uh, sick to the teeth of it. That is the true diversity uh, that transcends all identity politics. Uh, And uh, boy, oh boy, as I said, ask yourself this, the dog that doesn't bark. As uh, Sherlock Holmes observed, the dog that didn't bark after the Iowa caucus was that we had the first openly gay presidential candidate win a caucus. Where are the pieces? And you imagine if Kamala Harris, she would have been the first half Indian, half Jamaican uh, to win a presidential uh, uh, caucus. If it had been uh, Elizabeth Warren, she would have been the first Cherokee winner of a presidential caucus. If it had been Beto O'Rourke, it would have been the first uh, skateboarding middle-aged 12-year-old to win a presidential caucus. He shattered, May and Pete shattered the gay glass ceiling. He just went up there and he blew that gay glass ceiling away and they didn't say a thing about it. It's a big gay breakthrough. And they said not a word about it. The New York Times, CNN, there were no celebratory pieces. Why do you think that was? They're trying to find the... the, 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 the there's a sort of downplaying of the whole thing, in case you haven't noticed. Very interesting. And kind of gets back to what Rush was saying, didn't it? It's all rubbish, all this uh, identity politics nonsense. It's all about cynical calculation of where the particular sweet spot is. There's, there's people, you know, there's nice little uh, Squaresville-type people all over Iowa and New Hampshire who want to feel good about voting for the first gay candidate. And then you, you want to let them feel good, but you don't want it to get all too gay in case, like that woman who went bananas at the Iowa caucus, uh, they suddenly decide it's way too gay for them. And meantime... Uh, those of us uh, who look at these groups saying queers against Pete uh, congratulate the true iconoclastic spirit of freedom that admits that homosexuality doesn't come with a party affiliation. Uh, God bless queers against Pete. <laughs> May you prosper. Mark Stein for Rush will take your call straight ahead. 
Mark Stein, uh, Farash, got to love that good time rock and roll, Chuck uh, Berry. Uh, many, many years ago, I passed an uh, uh, agreeable afternoon with uh, Chuck Berry. He was, uh, he, he took a while to warm up to me, as indeed many people do. Let us go to Matt in Bristol, Connecticut. Matt, you're live on Open Line Friday. Great to have you with us. Hey, Mark. Yeah, I was wondering why you think the Democrats boxed out Tulsi Gabbard. He seemingly checks a lot of their boxes and would be more electable in a general. Yeah, it's well, I'll say first thing we should say about Tulsi is she put out a, a, a lovely message uh, for Rush when he announced his uh, uh, diagnosis last week. And we shouldn't forget that. It wasn't anything particularly uh, florid or anything. It was just straightforward and sincere and wished Rush the best. And it was actually humane. And it's quite nice these days to find a, hum- a human being on the other side of the political divide. I think that I think the thing about Tulsi, uh, we got put setting aside her positions, is that she actually called out the corruption on the Clinton side. And that necessarily, by implication, uh, drags in the broader Democrat establishment that protects the Clintons and the Bidens in their corruption. And I think it's no more it, it's no more complex than that, Matt. They they obviously don't like her her kind of centrism and her outreach to the Republicans. But what they really don't like is that she uh, essentially accepts that the Clintons and their vast cohort of associates are crooks, and and uh, you're not meant to say that. Just like uh, you, you're meant to say, like, Bernie, oh, I'm sick to death of your damn emails. In other words, I don't want to hear about them, but I pass no judgment on them. And that's uh, and, and she went a little further than that, Matt. That's, that's why it is. Okay. Yeah, and... Uh, I don't know. I think she got 3% in New Hampshire. I don't know how much longer she can stay in. But as I said, we're all – I was genuinely touched. And I think last Tuesday on the show, when I was still in a bit of shock myself, I read out Tulsi's email. It marks her down as a human being uh, whose capacity to recognize the humanity in her political opponents – hasn't been utterly eviscerated. And that puts her one step ahead of Bernie and Biden and a lot of the other guys on that side. Good for good for Tulsi on that. Yeah, Rush is going to be back Monday. I mentioned uh, David Limbaugh. And if you're thinking, ah, oh, Limbaugh, I wonder if he's... Yes, he's Rush's brother. Most, most of you know that. And uh, David, in his uh, regular column, he's... Uh, for February 14th, he's written a kind of Valentine... Uh, to his brother, um, and he's it's it's an immensely touching column. He talks about various other radio hosts who've had things to say about him, but also he mentions a text from a, a Democrat uh, that he received because you may have seen. Uh, and I said when I was here last Tuesday, I'm not even going to bother because I had all this when Rush had his heart problem some years ago when he was in Hawaii. And uh, I was a little rattled by uh, Twitter was kind of new then. And I was a little rattled by the ugliness of some of the comments. And so I know it now and I don't bother with it because, uh, you know, some no-name avatar on Twitter uh, who thinks he's a big, bold guy because he's uh, uh, 
sending anonymous death wishes on Twitter. I can't be bothered with it anymore. You know, if you want to, if you want, at least Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard is at least a flesh and blood human being. She's, she'd, she'd come and talk to Rush, be interviewed with Rush, uh, and disagree with Rush on the show. But uh, no name twits on Twitter, got no time for that. Anyway, uh, David Limbaugh quotes a Democrat who sent him a text, quote, so my buddy called me. He and 50 others are going on a fast to pray for your brother and for another person in their group. They did it before for a person in their group, and he is now cancer free. You guys sure have a lot of people that love you and your family. Awesome. Uh, And as you know, um, David has been writing uh, about uh, what he feels about Rush, but also about what Rush feels about how millions of you feel about him. Uh, I could fill a book with the well wishes I've received, says David. I sent Rush a link to my mentions column on Twitter so he could scroll through it and see for himself what he means to so many people. These tender expressions of goodwill are uplifting and spiritually affirming. God is at work, and however this plays out, God is good something Rush has been saying repeatedly in the last few weeks. Many of the messages he has received have brought him to tears, which is not typical for him. Uh, these are sobering times. And you, you may have heard that, just a crack in the voice, uh, when Mr. Snurdly explained to him on Wednesday uh, that a listener uh, had actually offered to donate his his lung for Rush. Uh I'll put that aside because it's a great column and you should read it, but I'm mindful of Rush's injunction uh, that us uh, minimum wage guest hosts are just to get on and do the show as normal and not to indulge in sentimentality about him because he's going to be back on Monday and he's going to be sticking it to the libs uh, and he's going to be sticking it to these Democrat would-be presidents uh, and he's not going to want to waste time with a lot of uh, sentimental blather f- that uh, is overhanging from Friday's guest host. Uh, Rush, when he was here on Wednesday, he talked about really one of the most amazing moments in the aftermath of New Hampshire. It's a terrible thing not to win the primary. What you want to do is you want to come out and be able to say, thank you, New Hampshire. Thank you. We're on our way to the White House. Pat Buchanan in whatever it was. 1992, uh, oh, I think it was 1996 as well. Pat Buchanan, who was doing his pitchforks thing, and he said he was coming, he said the message we're sending to the White House is uh, we're coming to get you like a character out of Deliverance. If you've seen the movie Deliverance, you'll know that there's a scene where, you know, one guy gets uh, strapped to a tree. And I don't want to go into detail, but anyway, that's what Pat Buchanan was basically threatening to do uh, to the country club Republicans. (laughs) And and, uh, it would have uh, been uh, uh, something to see uh, had he actually uh, carried through with that uh, threat. But uh, Bob Dole, meanwhile, had to come out and explain why he'd lost and said, now I know why they call it the Granite State, because it's such it's so hard to crack. And and that's fine if you're in second place. And then if you come third, fourth, fifth or whatever, and you, or you could do what Clinton did and claim to be the comeback kid. Zongus won New Hampshire, and but Bill Clinton came a strong second and announced that he was the comeback kid. What do you do if you're Elizabeth Warren? She came out and told perhaps one of the most bizarre anecdotes uh, that Rush referred to 
just a couple of days ago. So let me give you a another headline. Millionaire takes half of poor person's last $6 so she can stay in failed race for president. This news story just broke, and it is a headline to a tweet from Focahontas. The tweet reads as follows. A young girl came up to me tonight and said, I'm a broke college student with a lot of student loan debt. I checked and I have $6 in the bank. So I just gave $3 to keep you in this fight. Focahontas said, we are staying in this fight for the people who are counting on us. Here's Focahontas, a millionaire. Elizabeth Warren has millions of dollars. Not going to get into how she got it. Not the point. She got millions of dollars. She comes in. So far back last night, you need, a, you need a telescope to see her. She doesn't have a prayer out there. She gets a tweet from a broke-in-debt college co-ed. Says, I checked it, I'm down to six bucks, and I'm going to send you three of And she kept the money. She kept the three bucks and then used the message as a sign she's going to keep fighting for the people who are counting on her. Had it been me, I would have I would have sent the money back and stayed in the race if that was the intent, but you know what this is? This is total absence of any empathy whatsoever. This is so egoistic, it's incredible. Elizabeth Warren can only see this one way. The circumstances of this young girl are irrelevant to her. All she sees, this woman, this young girl loves me. I must stay in for this young girl. Rather than see an opportunity here to score a point, this mind-boggling. reminds me how when Clinton was having back in the 90s, all these bake sales students in, in, in junior high, middle school were running little – in grade schools running bake sales to reduce the federal deficit. And they were sending Clinton the money they raised, 25 bucks here, 30 bucks, and he was keeping the money, promised to apply it to the deficit. What was the lesson? The taxes you pay are not enough. You need to do bake sales for your government. You need to raise even more money for your government in addition to the taxes that we are collecting from you. And these are the people, we are told, who have all the compassion for the downtrodden, the homeless, the hungry, the thirsty. And you can't find any evidence that they do. That was Rush just a couple of days ago. It's fascinating to see the guys at CNN and uh, the other uh, networks doubling down on this. They're actually touting uh, this, uh, the willingness of Elizabeth Warren to take three bucks from a broke co-ed who's got six dollars in her bank account as evidence of what a heartwarming, caring, empathetic person she is. You know, Elizabeth Warren got rich. Flipping houses in the 1980s. Uh, she's, she doesn't need this co-ed's three dollars. 
This poor young lady who's doing, you know, transgender and colonialism studies in Payless Shoe Source University out at uh, the back of the strip mall somewhere on the edge of town for uh, 50 grand a year. has got uh, $200,000 worth of college debt and still wants to give three of her six remaining dollars to Elizabeth Warren. <clears throat> this is the... This is the insanity of it. And it also gets to the vanity of it. And actually, that was brilliant. What Biden did by just saying, screw you, New Hampshire. I'm out of here. I'm flying to South Carolina. I'm done with you. Uh, we don't need Iowa. We don't need New Hampshire. You're too white and homogenous. You're the only, you don't matter in this thing. <clears throat> All it is, a political campaign in the end, you can have experience like Biden. He's been he's got experience in running on his experience. That's mainly what his experience is, because he's been irrelevant to the public policy debate in uh, the United States. He was largely irrelevant to uh, the Obama administration. He was uh, largely inconsequential in the Senate. But the one thing he's got experience in is running for president. And we've seen how that works out. And what it what it says in not actually being there, like George W. Bush, and I do remember that uh, that that night primary night in two thousand, and going back, uh, just going around all the various campaigns, and getting to the Bush headquarters, he'd had a shellacking from John McCain. Uh, McCain had romped home. Uh, it was a humiliation for Bush. Bush still stayed there to thank all the people who worked for him, because that's all a campaign is. You can have ads every 12 minutes, as listeners have been complaining today about Bloomberg. You can have endorsements, like that idiot Biden is still talking about all the endorsements he's getting from uh, the Deputy Assistant Undersecretary of the Interior in the Chester Arthur administration has just announced he's endorsing Biden. You can have all the, the big money, but in the end, you've got to have the warm bodies. You've got to have the people who are willing to go out in, the, in a bloody, miserable New Hampshire winter and go to a school gym and actually vote for you. And Biden said, screw you guys. I don't care. It's about me. And that's like Elizabeth Warren taking three bucks from some gal with six bucks. It's about her. These are, these are uh, nice people. Nice people. I don't think Bernie actually has anything to worry about uh, if the competition for the left-wing space is Elizabeth Warren. Mark, sign in for us. We're going to take your call straight ahead. You know who they were touting as the dream candidate uh, just a few months back? It was uh, Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. He has just been found guilty on all counts in the Nike extortion trial. He was being held at the Manhattan Correctional Center where Jeffrey Epstein uh, accidentally found himself suicided while his guards were sleeping. Uh, that's where uh, Michael Avenatti is. I don't know where he's going to be serving his sentence, but the best president America never had according to his chums at CNN, is now going to be spending uh, the next presidential term at least behind bars. Let's go to John in Laporte, Indiana, Mayor Pete State. Hey, it's great to have you on the show, John. Hey, Mark. It's a pleasure to hear you. <laughs> good, for you. Good, good for you, good for me. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I'm a gay conservative Democrat. Um, oh, yeah. I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. All right. 
Um, I disagree with a lot of Mayor Pete's decisions, uh, especially concerning the homeless. Um, there was uh, some homeless shelters that he had where he uh, didn't have them, like, undergo any kind of treatment, like drug rehab. They were just, right. like, open for anyone, and, yeah. and they ended up becoming dangerous. There's a lot of, like, uh, urban campgrounds in South Bend. Because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't really heard any of that on the news, but I've seen them. Yeah. So, <laughs> from what I hear, they're safer than the homeless shelters that were available that were occupied by some of the more dangerous yeah. addicts and that. Let me uh, let me ask you, John. So, you, you're a member of "quote unquote" the gay community in Indiana. Uh, this yeah. this thing I mentioned. This group I keep getting these. Uh, uh, emails and things from now queers against I, Pete. Uh, is there division in the gay community regarding Mayor Pete's candidacy? It's I haven't really heard anybody say yay or nay about it. Uh, uh, actually, that was the first time I've heard about it when I heard it on the radio. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, we're glad to bring you. We're glad to bring you breaking news on uh, that front. So you'd never heard of this group, Queers Against Pete. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it's a uh, it's it, it's out there, and uh, they they seem to have have at least some uh, some members. But but you're basically opposed to him because of the way because basically he did it to South Bend, and you're worried he's going to do it to America. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll take that. I'll take that one. I tell you what. Let's just very quickly, Rachel in Agoura, California. Rachel, what's on your mind? Uh, you want to talk about Mayor Pete too? Uh, yes, thank you, Mark. I love you being on the show. I'm out in California, and I know some Democrats who say they won't vote for Mayor Pete because he's gay. Oh. And they say, they say that they aren't against gays, but yeah. that they think that the religious Democrats of the Midwest are hateful bigots and won't vote for a gay man. Okay, that's fa that's a fascinating glimpse of the inside here. That's really what Rush was referring to. Uh, that's uh, I'm not a bigot myself, but so many other bigots are out there that they'll be bigoted against him if he gets uh, too gay. And actually, that's the big worry, Rachel, about what will happen uh, if uh, when things move to South uh, Carolina. And uh, they're worried that the black community is not on board because it's what Karl Marx would have called the internal contradictions of the Rainbow Coalition. We've got to leave it there. We're going to close it out in just a couple of minutes. We've been uh, courtroom central today. McCabe skates. Flynn's case is being re-examined. And Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, he should have been celebrating a tremendous victory in the New Hampshire primary this week. Instead, he is going to jail guilty in the Nike extortion trial. So he, the best president we never had, Michael Avenatti. This has been Mark Stein. My thanks. To Mr. Snurdly and to Ali and to Mike for taking care of everything today and making me look semi-competent. The indispensable man, the big voice on the right, the one and only Rush Limbaugh, returns live Monday. Monday.